Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46.10 Lord, today I acknowledge that you are God and that I am not. I surrender my life to you completely. I give you full control in every aspect, in every area, and in everything that concerns me. I know I can trust you. You are always working everything together for my good and for your glory. As I go about my day, help me to remember what I have prayed. Help me to remember how strong and mighty you are. Help me to remember how wise you are and how loving and kind and faithful and true. Help me to keep bringing everything to you. Today I will be open and honest with you. I will pour out my heart to you. I thank you in advance for the answers that are already on the way, the things you set in motion long ago. I praise you with my whole heart, and not just when things go my way, when I can see what you are up to. I praise you even when I can't. I trust you even when I don't understand. Today I will be still before you. I will listen for your voice. I will do whatever you tell me. And I will stand on your promises by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me today. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm excited for you to join me on Heroes in the Bible. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you get the newest episodes right as they come out. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. We discover more about David the man in this episode. Our hero is coming of age in many ways. He has men under his command, rapport with the king, and a budding new romance. By the end of this episode, we begin to see David differently. He is no longer the ruddy and small shepherd boy, but a respected and feared warrior. Saul will begin to look at David differently as well. David did not pose a threat to Saul before, since he was just a bard and servant. But it becomes very apparent in this episode that David is destined for greatness. Israel sees it. Jonathan sees it, but Saul refuses to acknowledge it. This story begins with a prelude. 
This prelude takes us back in time to Joseph's life. The jealousy of his brothers overcame them and led them to cruel acts. This episode explores just how deadly jealousy can be and how any person's rise to prominence will come with enemies. This episode will also explore the complicated family dynamic of Saul's house. As David becomes closer to Saul's children, the line between friend and enemy becomes even more blurred. How will David navigate the tumultuous waters of fame, love, and jealousy? We will see it in our seventh episode, A Dowry of Blood. This is a transformative time for Black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Prelude to Chapter 7 Jealousy was the poison that killed the conscience of Judah. Seared by bitterness and contempt, he leaned over his younger brother, Joseph. Where are you running off to? Judah scoffed. Are you afraid? Joseph gulped. There was no escaping what was about to come. His eyes darted towards the trail. He sprinted forward only to be stopped by his brothers and shoved back into the middle of the circle. They closed in on him. Simeon lunged forward for the first blow right to the jaw. Joseph recoiled and stumbled back, only to be shoved to the ground by Levi. His brothers pounced on him, tearing the coat right off his body. Their kicks seemed endless. Joseph could feel his ribs cracking under the pressure of their blows. Stop! Someone help me! Joseph cried, but his brothers were too enraged to give mercy. Judah picked Joseph up by his hair and held his face tightly. Tell me, Joseph, in all your dreaming, did you ever see this? Tears streamed down Joseph's face. He could not speak. He could barely breathe. Judah threw him against the rocks. Joseph lay there helplessly. His brothers were filled with spite. They took his limp and mangled body and threw him into an empty pit. Joseph tumbled down 15 feet hid in the cold dirt below. A cloud of dust rose in the air as Joseph's body hit the ground. He gasped for breath, coughing up blood. 
Joseph rolled onto his back, seeing the silhouetted faces of his brothers above. His eyes were growing dim, and the light from above was slipping from his sight. Feeling broken and abandoned, Joseph closed his eyes. All turned dark for Joseph. The cave was wet and the sun's rays could not touch the bottom. However, nothing was as dark as Judah's heart in that moment. Jealousy had given birth to violence, and that violence would send Judah down a path his heart could not handle. All of the brothers stood over the cave in which Joseph lay. They huffed with pride and contempt. They were woefully unaware of the pain they were causing themselves. Jealousy is a poison that kills slowly. Chapter 7 A Dowry of Blood Jonathan's legs could not run any faster. His heart was ready to burst out of his chest as he turned the corner past an opening in the rocks by the battlefield. The Philistine chariots were gaining on him, and Jonathan was losing strength quickly. Their spears were lifted high, waiting for the right moment to launch. Jonathan looked back. He had only moments before they caught up to him. He looked forward. A dead end met him at the back of the canyon. He had to think quickly. He saw a few crags in the stone wall of the canyon. Perhaps he could jump quick enough to scale the wall and get to safety. It was his only option. With all the strength he had left, Jonathan threw away the sword in his hand and leapt towards the stone wall. His right hand gripped the crag in the wall, allowing him to swing his left hand up and grab the other. Jonathan gained his footing and began to climb. He heard the Philistines enter the canyon. The wall was only a dozen feet tall. All Jonathan needed was a few more steps to bring himself over. He swung his arm to the top of the wall and began to lift himself up. Then a Philistine spear aimed at his head missed, causing the rocks near his hands to crumble. Jonathan fell to the ground on his back. The little air he had left in his lungs escaped him. Jonathan gasped and looked up to see the Philistine chariots aimed and ready to execute him. With groaning, Jonathan stumbled to his feet. Blood dripped down the side of his temple. He could barely stay standing. Swaying in a dizzy haze, Jonathan lifted his fist to the enemy. Come to me, Philistine dogs, he murmured. One of the Philistines lifted his spear and drew his arm back. Before he could throw, a stone whistled through the air and landed straight into the Philistine's throat. Blood burst forth from the soldier as he fell back over his chariot. The two other soldiers looked up above the canyon. Up above, there was a figure silhouetted in front of the afternoon sun. The men gasped in fear. It is a giant slayer, they shouted. Turn back! However, the canyon was too narrow for them to turn their horses and chariots. Before they had a chance to retreat, David sent another stone from his sling, landing on the shoulder of one of the men. The man dropped his weapon and writhed in pain, giving David enough time to scale down the wall, pass Jonathan, and launch himself forward at the third soldier. The two of them sparred for a moment, until David swiped at the man's cast, then downwards into the back of his neck. He took the Philistine spear, threw his shoulder back, and hurled it at the last remaining soldier, pinning him to the side of his chariot. David looked back at Jonathan and gave a sly smile. Perhaps you are too old to be battling, eh? <laughs> David jested. Jonathan laughed and picked up his sword. He shook his head and hugged David. 
with you as my guardian angel. I shall be fighting till I'm the age of Noah. David took Jonathan's arm and placed it over his shoulder, helping him limp back to camp. Jonathan sighed and grinned from ear to ear. I love you more than a brother, David. Never forget that. David nodded in agreement. The two of them stumbled back to camp where the others had returned. It was yet another victory over the Philistines. A victory Jonathan would not have enjoyed if it weren't for David the Giant Slayer. The two of them laughed at the nickname. <laughs> the Philistines had been telling tales of David. How he called down fire from the heavens and his sword was made of lightning. However, David knew that he was still just a shepherd boy. Although battle did seem to suit him. Ever since his victory against Goliath, Saul had put him in the command of over a thousand men. Together, he and Jonathan had successfully staved off over a dozen raids by the Philistines. The two men leaned back by the fire, resting their weary legs. It was a warm night, and the stars were laid out on the horizon like a blanket. Jonathan sat opposite David by the fire. Although he was older than David, and the first in line to receive the throne of his father Saul, Jonathan knew in his heart that David was meant to be king. He could feel the presence of God upon him. Jonathan, being a humble man, elevated David above himself. He looked down at the royal robe he wore given by his father. It never did feel like it fit him. The role of king was never something he truly thought about, although his men talked about it often. Jonathan looked over at David who was poking at the fire. He watched as David took a stick and ensured all the coals were touching one another. He tended to the fire with the same care he tended to sheep. Jonathan stood up and brought a wooden chest out of his tent. He placed it on the floor next to David. Open it, Jonathan said. Confused, David opened the chest and saw Jonathan's royal armor. Light steel scales covered the leather armor. The shoulder plates were formed to perfection and polished perfectly. It reflected the firelight. Underneath the armor was Jonathan's sword wrapped in bearskin. It was lightweight but sturdy. David took it in his hand and held it next to the firelight. It was a magnificent blade, far superior to the blade he had been wielding. Jonathan took off his royal robe and placed it on David's shoulders. These are all yours now, David. Take good care of them. David looked over to Jonathan, who sat back down across from him. Are you going somewhere that you need me to take care of these? He asked. Of course not. Jonathan chuckled. I will be here to fight beside you until my dying breath. A warrior's armor and sword represents his safety and entire life. I give these to you as a symbol of our friendship. I care more about you than my own life. David was dismayed at Jonathan's love and friendship. His own brothers had always mocked him and cast him aside. He had never known the feeling of true brotherhood. David stroked the royal robe that Jonathan had put over his shoulders. Your royal robe is not armor, Jonathan. Why give it to me, along with the rest? Jonathan's smile quickly turned into a serious gaze. He leaned over and stared intently at David through the fire. Its flickering flames reflected in his eyes. I have given these to you because you will be the next king of Israel. You should be dressed and armed as the prince, not I. You are the firstborn son of the king, Jonathan. David replied. I am the youngest son of a herdsman. There's no place for me on the throne of Israel. God uplifts the humble, David, Jonathan said, leaning his head back and looking up at the stars. David nodded and smiled. 
He wrapped the robe securely around his back and shoulders. Let us make a covenant with each other. Under the eyes of God, you and I are for each other. Our friendship will prove to be stronger than any jealousy, envy, or ambition. David stood and extended his hand above the fire. Jonathan stood to his feet and linked his arm with David's. A covenant of brotherhood between you and I. May God give us favor. The two of them spoke into the night about the future of Israel, God's grace and power, the Philistines, and all their minds could muster into conversation. David did not know it, but God was healing the wounds in his heart formed by his father and brothers. God was giving the forgotten son a sense of family and belonging. David and Jonathan returned to Gibeah with their men. The construction of Saul's palace was nearly complete. Gardens of flowers and olive trees stretched around the perimeter. The springtime breeze caused the blooming petals to dance and sway like children. David enjoyed Gibeah. Since his victory over the giant, David had lived in Gibeah permanently to serve the king, play music, and lead his men into battle. Jonathan left to go inform Saul of their most recent victory. However, David lingered for a moment near the entrance. He leaned over the wooden fence bordering the garden and looked out. Under the spinning leaves of the olive trees, Michal tended to the flowers. The youngest daughter of Saul was breathtaking to David. He leaned over the fence, doing his best to steal just one glance from her. However, she wasn't looking. David took an olive and placed it in the leather strap of a sling. Gently, David shot an olive right above her head causing the leaves to rustle above her. She looked to see the giant slayer gazing at her. Michal blushed and waved. David smiled ear to ear. He kept his eyes fixed on her, and she fixed her gaze on him. It was all David could ask for. Just a moment. Where is David? Saul's voice shouted from within the palace. David chuckled. <laughs> he scratched his head and gave a final wave to Michal. She leaned on the tree watching him leave into her father's halls. She longed to be with him. The young girl in her loved the attention of the giant slayer. However, she would never quite understand just how much David was destined for. How could she? David himself did not know what was in store either. They are marching dangerously close to Jerusalem, Saul said, pacing back and forth in front of his throne. He did not look down at David, he was too frantic to stay still. Even after your recent victories, they continue to press up against our borders with arrogance. I am sending you to ensure they do not march any further into our land. Understood, my king, David said with a bow. Good. Now go and... Saul paused as he turned his head and looked at David. The king recognized the armor secured to David's chest and the sword strapped to his belt. Jonathan had given him his royal armor. Do you presume to be a prince, shepherd boy? Saul asked coarsely. David lifted his head. Of course not, my king. I am your servant, and nothing more. Then why do you wear my son's armor? Has he fallen and you taken his place? Jonathan quickly intervened. It was a token of appreciation, father. David saved my life more than once in our last battle. I owe him my life. Not only that, but there would have been no victory without him. Saul's anger subsided and quickly turned to ambivalence. 
He dismissed the boy with a wave of his hands. If you are as brave as my son says, then go and halt the Philistines. David said nothing. He bowed his head and left. As David exited Saul's throne room, a familiar voice crept into Saul's mind. The tormenting spirit had returned to him. Paranoia and anger coiled around his heart, latching on like thorns to a garden. Saul sat back and took a sip from his cup. Jealousy had made its home in his heart. David led a small band of men to the border of Jerusalem. A few miles south, the Philistines had sent a small army to raid the nearby villages. Before the enemy had any chance to descend upon the defenseless people, David ran valiantly into battle. His skill in battle was methodical and almost poetic. He ran with the energy of a boy who had spent his whole life chasing down sheep in the hill country. He seemed to never grow tired, fueled by the passion of God's heart. He defeated the Philistines with ease, and the remaining survivors were sent running back to their country. David's fame as the giant slayer and deliverer of Israel had spread from the major cities all the way to the small villages. David returned home, eager to tell Saul of his victory. He was sore from battle. His bones ached, and he had a few minor wounds to nurse. However, the young shepherd could not have been more joyful. He felt as though he was truly stepping into his calling. All his boyhood dreams of defending the people of Israel were coming true. He was a beloved servant of the king and a commanding officer at a young age. In his mind, nothing could make his life any better. As David and his men marched back to Gibeah, shouting could be heard from within the gates. He perked up and rested his hand on the hilt of his sword. Surely the city had not been invaded while he was gone. David and his men halted and listened closer to the clamoring coming from the city. They looked at one another confused. They did not hear shouts of fear or war. They were cheers. The men quickened their pace and came through the gates of the city. David entered in to see a multitude of people praising and shouting his name. Men, women, and children laced the city streets singing songs of David's bravery and victory. The sound of their praise was almost too much for the young boy's humble heart to bear. The songs from their instruments echoed throughout the city, creating an anthem to David's favor with the people. The women of Israel came before the palace of Saul with their tambourines singing and dancing with joy. From their lips poured out a song that would live on in infamy. Saul has struck down thousands, but David has struck down ten thousands. The song passed from person to person and was sung from the oldest in the city to the youngest. David was Israel's new hero and a beacon of God's love and protection to all those who had been oppressed by the Philistines. Saul emerged from his dimly lit room out onto the balcony overlooking the city streets. A melody had caught his attention. It seeped into his room like an unwelcome odor. Saul stood on his balcony with his hands behind his back, overlooking the parade of people cheering in the city streets. The entire city of Jerusalem joined in a song of praise to their new champion. However, to Saul, it was a song of despair. He looked down at David, being carried on the arms of his soldiers. In that moment, a darkness slithered its way into Saul's heart. A deep and evil well of jealousy was simmering to the surface. Saul twitched his head to the side and rolled his neck back. Chills slithered down his spine. He looked down at the people. I hate them, he whispered. 
They have given David the glory that I deserve. Saul leaned over the balcony and gripped its edges tightly. He gritted his teeth and furrowed his brow. He will not take my kingdom away from me, Saul said to himself. I will not let him! Saul retreated back into the darkness of his room. There he allowed his mind to stir in paranoia. He paced back and forth, creating more and more reasons to hate David for his success. The tormenting spirit had made a permanent residence in his heart. Saul turned to the back wall of his room. A large spear hung over his bed. He grabbed it and held it firmly in his hand. The dreaded song could be heard even from his closed doors. Saul roared and threw the spear at the door. It pierced through the wood, splitting it in two. Saul flared with anger, jealous fire reflecting through his eyes. The next day, Saul rose and went to his throne room. It was warm, and the fire in the center had been tended to by David all morning. He sat beside it with his harp. The shepherd bowed to the king as he entered. Saul sneered at the gesture and sat on his throne with his spear gripped firmly in his hand. David could sense the tension in the room. Good morning, my king, he said softly. Saul tilted his head to the side. And what makes it good, boy? I trust you have good news for me. David nodded. Yes, my lord. Your servant has done as you asked. We marched against the Philistine raiders and vanquished them. It was by your wisdom and foresight we were able to get there quickly before they attacked. Don't patronize me, Saul thought to himself. Instead, he said nothing. He simply stared at David in silence, allowing his piercing gaze to make him sweat. After enough pause, Saul broke the silence. Although you, and others, see yourself as a hero, I would like to remind you that you are still my servant and musician. Is that clear? Of course, David said nervously. Is there a hymn you would like played? Saul simply waved for him to play anything. So David began to strum his harp. The notes rose and fell gracefully, tugging at the parts of Saul's heart that were not completely shrouded in darkness. The music was intensely spiritual. As David sang, it was as if angels were joining in with him to sing the chorus. Saul's bottom lip began to quiver. His mind struggled to stay in control. The beautiful music filled the room like the scent of fresh roses. Yet all Saul could hear was that one song. David has killed his ten thousands. Saul brooded on his throne looking at the fire. The flickering flame was mesmerizing. His mind wandered to days past. Days of hope for a new kingdom. Days when Samuel had guided him into truth and God's favor was upon him. The voice of the Lord had been absent from Saul for so long that he could barely remember what it was like to be truly led by God. If he simply repented and turned from his arrogance, God would embrace him. However, his pride tethered him to darkness. The king's mind turned from contemplation to anger. Saul hated God for sending him David. He hated David for his faithfulness to God. Looking into David's eyes was like staring into the soul of what could have been. Saul's pride was shown to be ugly when standing beside David's humility. Saul's knuckles turned white as he gripped the spear beside him. He stood to his feet as David was lost in the music. Saul teemed with anger towards the boy. 
I will pin you to the wall, he whispered under his breath. Saul drew his spear back and stepped forward to launch the spear. David opened his eyes just in time to see Saul hurl the spear right towards him. David reacted quickly, leaping to his right and crashing into the table beside him. Saul screamed as a man possessed and grabbed another spear beside his throne. Come here, you worthless boy! They will see singing your name once you are dead! Saul threw the spear at David who was on the ground. This time, David had less options. He ducked to his left, but the spear grazed his shoulder, drawing blood. As Saul reached for a third spear, David leapt out the window and fell a few feet into the grass. He ran and did not look back. Saul's chest rose up and down with fury. However, as David left, his anger turned quickly into regret. The king dropped the spear in his hands, fell to his knees, and wept. David had eluded him, just as Samuel's approval and just as God's favor. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. David ran to the stables outside the palace and caught his breath. Leaning against the back of the stable doors, he looked at his shoulder. Only a minor wound. It would heal given the right bandages. He patched himself up and remained in his quarters until sundown. When the sun descended, David snuck out of his room and crept near Saul's window. He peeked his head in to see Saul hunched over by the fire. His shoulders were shaking up and down and his hands were placed over his face. The mighty king David loved so dearly was weeping. Clearly the man had a tortured soul. Although he had attempted to take David's life, he would not waver in his devotion to him. David left and went back to his room. He resolved in his heart to stand before Saul the next morning and play music. The king needed him now more than ever. Saul woke up the next morning with the same self-hatred he fell asleep with. However... It did not take long for him to bury his shame and redirect his hatred towards David again. Saul entered the halls to have breakfast with his wife and children. David was also in attendance, sitting beside Jonathan and his family. Saul looked at David with contempt, sat himself down, 
and began to eat. He looked across the table at his oldest daughter, Merab. She was a regal young woman. Her hair was tightly braided back behind her head covering. She ate with her shoulders set firmly back. Seeing her at the same table as David gave him an idea. He realized he could not kill David himself. He wanted his hands clean of the young man's blood. If he killed him with his own sword, the people would revolt against him. He needed to make David a martyr. He needed to ensure David died in battle. Saul leaned back and smiled. David, I hope we can put our disagreement yesterday behind us. Jonathan, Merab, and Michal all looked over to David. No one had known what had happened between them. David smiled and bowed his head. You are a humble man, my king. Consider it forgotten. Forgive me if I had done anything to provoke you. Saul waved his hand. It is merely the weight of the crown. You are a good man and a good warrior. It is for this reason I desire to give you the hand of my daughter, Merab. <laughs> Merab coughed, nearly choking on her food. Father, but I am engaged to marry Atriel. He had paid the dowry already. Merab was slightly panicked, having already developed feelings for her betrothed. McCall's heart also sank. She loved David dearly, and it would pain her to see him marry her sister. Nonsense, Saul said with a chuckle. This is the giant slayer. Did I not promise that whoever defeated Goliath would have your hand in marriage? The two of you must be wed. David was speechless. Merab was beautiful and virtuous, but he had grown fond of Mekal, the youngest, and knew that the marriage would break her heart as it did his. He bowed his head to Saul and said, My king, who am I to marry your firstborn daughter? I am a descendant of farmers and herders. What place do I have to become the son-in-law to the king? How could I ever be worthy? By being valiant in battle, <laughs> Saul responded eagerly. You will march at the front lines with a thousand men behind you. I will have you march on my behalf as my finest warrior. May your victories grow and your worthiness of my daughter's hand. David humbly accepted. Saul joyfully raised his cup. To the betrothal of David and Merab, to the gaining of a new son, and... To the prosperity of Israel. The family toasted to the betrothal. Merab's perfect posture broke as she slumped down. David smiled nervously. Just how many battles would he have to endure to be worthy? What came after was an onslaught of Philistine raids that nearly took his life on several occasions. David ran valiantly into battle, proving to Saul that he was worthy to be called a prince of Israel. With every victory, his confidence as a warrior increased. His hands became calloused from gripping his sword, and his body grew larger in frame. Battle hardened his body, but his heart was still tender and attentive to the Spirit of God. The thousand men behind him became bonded to him like brothers. David's courage emboldened the men of Israel and sent fear down the spines of the Philistines. As David's victories tallied, Saul became more and more furious. He had sent David into impossible situations, yet God was with him. Saul came to understand that the only way to make David fall in battle would be to break his spirit and confidence. One morning, 
David was walking in the cool of the morning. It was the eve of his wedding, and it had been a long time since he'd walked among the olive trees. The morning mist was refreshing to him. The heat of battle had cluttered his mind. It was a relief to be in the quiet. David took a deep breath and sighed to the Lord. My shepherd, he whispered silently. Who am I to be the son-in-law to the king? Who am I to deserve any of this? As David spoke quietly to the Lord, he could hear footsteps behind him. He turned around to see Saul. Good morning, my king. I did not expect you to be up this early. Is there something that you need? Saul plucked a flower from the garden and held it up to the morning light. I have decided that your victories in battle, as valiant as they were, still do not make you worthy of my oldest daughter. David's heart sank when he heard Saul's words. However, he said nothing in response. He allowed the king to walk past him and continue speaking. I have decided to go through with the marriage between her and Adriel the Maholothite. He is of noble birth, and his family's resources could prove useful to us. Saul peered over to David looking for a response. He hoped for a crushed spirit and downcast frown. However, David smiled and bowed to his knees before him. With his face close to the ground, David responded, saying, It was an honor to be considered to begin with, my king. You are kind to allow me to even be in your presence. I will continue to serve you however you see fit. David's humility vexed Saul. He flared his nostrils and turned away. Storming off past the trees, he caught a glimpse of his youngest daughter, Michal. The king looked back at David, then at Michal. She was watching him. She had been watching him all morning. Saul gave a fiendish smile and walked toward Michal. My dear daughter, what brings you out here in the gardens at this hour? He asked gently. Michal was startled and embarrassed. She placed her hands behind her back and looked down. Just enjoying the cool morning, father. Saul nodded and gestured towards David. No doubt enjoying the view as well. Michal blushed and said nothing. Saul put his arm around her. I just finished telling the young man that he will not be marrying Merab. Her betrothal to Edriel is too important. Michal looked up and smiled. Her response gave everything away. Saul knew that she had fallen in love with the shepherd boy. No doubt he had probably grown fond of her as well. He had seen them exchanging glances before, stealing small moments away to talk and walk beside each other. No doubt David would move land and sea to have Michal as his bride, Saul thought to himself. Perhaps this is the motivation he needs to put himself in greater danger. Saul put his arm around his daughter and began walking back to David. Young David! Saul shouted. David turned back and faced the two of them. Saul was beaming ear to ear with joy. Finally, he found a chink in the virtuous armor of David. You shall be my son-in-law after all, he said jovially. You and my youngest, Michal, shall be wed before God. You will be made to be my son, and all the privileges of the kingdom will be yours. David looked into Michal's eyes. She was beautiful, and David found himself giddy with excitement. 
If it pleases you, my king, he said. Saul smirked. Victory was within reach. He had only a few more steps to rid himself of David. Very well, then. <laughs> it is done. We shall plan the wedding. All that is needed is for you to provide a dowry. David looked up with concern. My king, you know that I am but a humble shepherd. I have no land or treasures to offer, no gold or silver. What can I possibly give the king that is worth the fair hand of your daughter? I shall require no gold or silver from you, giant slayer. However, I require something far more valuable. Saul sent his daughter away. David and Saul spoke in private. The cool morning began to give way to the heat of day. Saul put his arm around David and <sighs> sighed. Saving us from the threat of the Philistines continues to be my first priority. God's kingdom cannot thrive until our oppressors are dealt with. That is why, for the price of my daughter's hand in marriage, I ask that you bring me the foreskins of a hundred dead Philistine soldiers. I want them to know that they cannot continue to mock our God and kill our people. Saul placed both hands on David's shoulders and looked at him. David, will you do this for me? Will you bring honor to this family? David's heart welled up with pride. He bowed his head to the king. I will fight for the Lord, this nation, and the right to be called your son. So David left immediately. He gathered a few of his men to plan for a raid on the Philistines. This battle would be unlike any other. Not all of his men were available to him. They had to march up against a Philistine garrison far away. David packed his belongings and assembled his men. Together, they marched past the hill country into the land of the Philistines. They camped outside the city of Gath, strategizing and planning into the night. If they invaded the city gates, they would be crushed in a matter of minutes. David needed to draw them out somehow. He had a few of his spies scanning the land surrounding Gath. On the north side of the walls were heavy woods. David had his men lay in wait there. When the morning broke, David approached the gate. He banged his sword against his shield and shouted, Philistines! Which one of you is brave enough to fight me? David shouted for all to hear. It was not long before soldiers began pouring out of the gates to pursue David. He underestimated just how many soldiers would assemble that quickly. David's eyes widened as he saw an entire horde of Philistines burst out of their hive. The shepherd boy had never run so fast in his life. With chariots close behind, David retreated back into the woods, where his men were laying in wait. As soon as he passed the threshold of the forest, David's archers released their arrows towards the Philistines. A dozen of them fell, but 200 more were able to break through the forest to fight. They outnumbered his men nearly two to one. David expected the archers to do more damage. Nevertheless, they had nowhere left to run. The shepherd did not panic. He scanned the forest for another advantage. Deeper into the forest, the space between the trees narrowed. The Philistine chariots and horses wouldn't be able to fit. David blew his horn and called for his men to retreat deeper into the narrows. Philistine spears flew past David and his men with great speed. Keep running! David shouted to his men as he led them deeper. Roots sprung up from the dirt, making the terrain more difficult to run. 
David smirked. Hearing the sound of horses behind him falling to the ground and wheels from the chariots falling off, David let his men go through the trees first. Then just as he stood when battling the giant, David planted his feet and faced the enemy. Over 200 soldiers drew their swords and came after him, but the shepherd of Israel did not waver. He stood his ground and drew a deep breath. Since the clearing was narrow, only two Philistines could attack him at a time. The first two burst through. David kept them at their heels first, then the throats. More spilled in, but were quickly slashed by David's leg. Four more leapt over the bodies and advanced towards him, but they were met with swift swings and decisive blows. The men behind him watched as David single-handedly took on an entire army. They watched his sword swing through flesh and bone. His cries shook their hearts. Emboldened by his courage, they went around the openings in the trees and hit the Philistines on the side. The battle was over in a matter of minutes. Philistine blood soaked the forest soil. Saul had asked for a hundred Philistine foreskins as proof of his conquest. David walked among the bodies slain by him and his men, cutting each and every one of them with his blade. The number was two hundred, double what the king demanded as dowry for his daughter. It was a gruesome and bone-chilling sight. Most noble princes gave a dowry of gold, silver, and cattle to be given honor, but not David. No, he would give a dowry of blood, a symbol of his devotion to his king, his future bride, and his nation. David returned the next day with all his men behind him. They entered the gates once again, met with praise and celebration. However, David was less enthused by their cheers. His hands were still stained red with the blood of his enemies. His legs were sore from the battle, and his head throbbed from dehydration. He wondered if the king had expected him to die out there on the battlefield. The task seemed to be so perilous that no man would have accepted except him. He knew that he had to be wary of the king, or else he would pay for it with his life. David dismounted his horse and walked up the steps leading to Saul's throne room. Without a word, he entered in with the bag in his hands. Blood seeped through the burlap, staining the stone floor. Still covered in the filth of war, David stood before the king expressionless. He held out his hand and dropped the sack in front of the king. The entire council of elders stood in the presence of their king and the shepherd silently. Saul stood from his throne and looked at the bag. He winced and then looked at David. Saul looked up at David's eyes. Something had changed. The boy he had sent out to die had come back a man. Although Saul stood a head taller than David, he had never felt so small. From David's very presence emanated a humble power similar to that of Samuel's. It sent chills down Saul's spine. He no longer hated David out of jealousy. He now hated David out of fear. Spring had come, and the blooming flowers filled the air with a sweet aroma. Flower petals were at David's feet as he stood face to face with Michal outside of the gardens. David gazed into her hazel eyes staring back at him. He gently stroked her cheek and smiled. She blushed and held his hand close to her face. The king, the priest, and a multitude of people stood before them. Before God and man, the two of them were joined together in marriage. David, the forgotten son of a herdsman from Bethlehem, was now a prince of Israel. Not by noble birth or royal stock, 
but by courage and a dedication to the Lord. His courageous and humble spirit testified to the heart of God, a defender of the weak, a judge of the oppressor, and a shepherd to the flock of Israel. It was David's heart that continued to point towards the greater plan of God, a plan to rid the world of the oppression of evil forever. The people cheered as David kissed his bride. A great festival was held in their honor, and for two weeks the people of Israel danced and sang about the king's daughter and the giant slayer. Saul knew that it was only a matter of time before the people would turn on him and elevate David to take his place. His own children had turned from him to take David's side. Time was of the essence. Saul knew that he had to kill David or live to see his throne stripped from him. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Are you looking to grow closer to God in 2024? Our Daily Bread Daily Devotionals have everything you need to regularly dig into His Word. Each booklet is delivered monthly and comes complete with encouraging daily scripture readings, a Bible in a year reading guide, space to write personal reflections, guided prayers, and more. See how God can transform you through His Word this year by subscribing to our Daily Bread Daily Devotionals at getodb.org slash Tony. That's G-T-O-D-B. Jealousy is truly a poison that kills the conscience. It was true of Joseph's brothers when they sold him into slavery, and it was true of Saul when he tried to kill David. Jealousy drives us to contempt, and contempt leads us down a destructive path. When somebody has something we feel we deserve, it can cause us to seek out their destruction or at least revel when they fall on hard times. This episode is only the beginning of the long journey Saul and David will go on together. Joseph's brothers eventually begged for his forgiveness. At this point, we aren't sure the same thing will happen with Saul. We will have to follow the story further to find out. After the prelude, we are brought into the middle of a battle, and Jonathan is running for his life. An epic scene is set out before us. Jonathan is back into a corner with no escape, and silhouetted on the hill is his rescuer. David leaps into the scene and defeats the Philistines, rescuing his friend from certain death. 
Afterwards, Jonathan and David rest by the fire, and we're given a glimpse into their friendship. David tends to the fire, ensuring all the coals burn brightly. Always remember the symbolism of the flame. It is clear that Jonathan and David love each other deeply. The Prince of Israel gifts his young companion with his royal robes, armor, and sword. Unlike Saul's armor, Jonathan's fits perfectly, although David is not sure if he deserves the gesture. Back in those days, giving someone your armor was a gesture of complete trust. Jonathan was communicating to David that his life was more important than his own. This is a gesture of true friendship and loyalty. Jonathan had everything to lose by acknowledging David. He was next in line for the throne and more beloved than his father. No doubt Jonathan would make an excellent king if given the opportunity. But Jonathan is humble enough to acknowledge God's hand on David. This brings us to a question for ourselves. Are we this humble in our own friendships? Do we elevate our companions above ourselves? The temptation is to desire our friends to do well, but not better than us. We would cheer them on if they got a promotion, but not if they got a promotion over us. Jonathan would consider it a great success if David went on to be greater than him. In this episode, Jonathan's character is once again given to us as a contrast against Saul's. Jonathan acknowledges that David is special and wants to help him. Saul acknowledges that David is special and wants to kill him. Oh, how treacherous the path of jealousy becomes. It certainly becomes treacherous for Saul. The sins he commits in this episode begin a domino effect that cannot be undone. Joseph's brothers gave into the temptation of jealousy, and so did Saul. This has been a cycle in humanity ever since Cain killed Abel. When we see somebody with favor, talent, or privilege, they can become the embodiment of our own discontent. We project our insecurities, fears, and shame onto them. We are mad at our own lot in life, or perhaps mad even at God. So we lash out at those we perceive to be more favored than us. Saul wanted the praise of the people and the favor of God, and David had both. Instead of being introspective and asking himself why he didn't have those things, he lashes out at David. It's easier to be bitter than to change. Whether Saul likes it or not, David is being interwoven into the fabric of his family. Jonathan and he are like brothers, and Michal, Saul's youngest daughter, has grown very fond of him. There is a budding romance between David and Michal that gives us some good feelings. Every hero needs a lover, right? We aren't given much details about their relationship in this episode, and that is for a good reason. There isn't much there. The love between David and Mikkel is not deep or rooted in anything stronger than themselves. Mikkel loves David, the legend, not David, the man. This will show itself to be true later on in the series. Mikkel and David will have a complicated relationship that somewhat mirrors the relationship David has with Saul. Saul attempts to murder David in a few different ways. First, he tries to pin him to the wall with his spear. This was a sloppy outburst by Saul and ultimately ends with David escaping and forgiving him afterward. After this, Saul knows he needs to be a bit more tactful. He throws David into the front lines, hoping he will die at the hands of the Philistines. Unfortunately for Saul, David stacks even more victories. The king then gives David the nearly impossible task of retrieving 100 Philistine foreskins to prove his worth. He does this and goes above and beyond to please the king. 
The irony is, with each victory David wins, the more Saul hates him. The giant slayer is caught in a losing battle for the king's affection. However, David doesn't necessarily do any of these things solely for Saul's approval. He is called to be a protector of God's people and the hero of Israel. David certainly enjoys the approval of Saul, but does not need it for his own self-worth. This is a key difference between the king and the shepherd. The king desperately wants the praise and recognition of the people and fights for his own glory. The shepherd wants the protection and redemption of the people and fights for the glory of God. David's humility and character make Saul feel small and petty. This is often the case when we come face to face with truly remarkable people. People who love God and are devoted to their families and humbly serve can rub up against our egos. May we all seek to grow in such a way. In our next episode, Saul will continue down the path of jealousy. David will be forced to make hard decisions that test his character. How will he fare under intense persecution? Find out in our next episode, Exiled. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. Follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the new episodes right as they come out and always be inspired by the Bible. God bless. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.